Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Terrorist stabs author of Satanic Verses. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, that is the headlines um, as I am doing this uh, podcast. Um, just a couple of days ago on August 12th, there was the stabbing of Salman Rushdie, the author of The Satanic Verses. And um, although American uh, newspapers and, and mainstream media have been bending over backwards to avoid saying that, um, that there was a terrorist um, uh, reason for this stabbing, you know, the, a reason related to terrorism. Indeed, as you will hear today, um, there is. And in fact, uh, the, the man who was caught um, right after he stabbed Salman Rushdie um, has a very interesting history. And as I will talk about in more detail, um, he was following a fatwa that was put out on the uh, author's on the author, in other words, a decree um, asking people to to kill Salman Rushdie. So first we're going to talk about, in this first segment, we're going to talk about who is Salman Rushdie, what are the Satanic Verses, the book, and um, then in the next segment we're going to talk about who is Hadi Matar, the man who stabbed him and almost killed him, um, and why did he want to do this, and in the third segment, we're going to be talking about the significance of all of this. What does all of this mean? I mean, fortunately, Salman Rushdie at this moment seems to be on the road to recovery. Um, but <laughs> that was that was uh, very fortunate and, and very he, the, he was very severely injured. I'll tell you all about that. So this is this is how we're going to be taking this journey. Um, first of all, Salman Rushdie is an Indian-born British novelist very who has won countless prizes, literary prizes. Um, he was, in fact, dubbed Sir Salman Rushdie. Um, and he was about to deliver a lecture at the Chautauqua Institution in Chautauqua, New York, in upstate New York. And just as he was introduced to make his speech, a man named Hadi Matar jumped up on the stage and charged him with a knife and stabbed him, uh, it is estimated, approximately 15 times, notably in his neck. And you will uh, later come to understand why that is important. He damaged numerous organs, including his liver, one of his eyes, 
Um, he had to undergo surgery, and he was put on a ventilator. He was just just recently, just uh, in recent hours, he was taken off the ventilator, and he was able to speak. And there are articles about, you know, how he was joking around. The Satanic Verses was published. uh, It's a novel. It's not a a nonfiction work. Um, It's a novel, and it was published in 1988. And then in 1989, Ayatollah Khomeini, the supreme leader of Iran, issued a fatwa calling for Rushdie's assassination. So he went into hiding for years um, because it was a very serious, you know, there were very serious call for his assassination. I mean, there were many people who wanted him to be assassinated. Um, but in these recent years, he hasn't been hiding. Um, and so, you know, this fatwa was still out there and someone decided to jump on it. Um, there was a $3 million bounty on Rushdie by the execution of Imam's Order Directive, an organization. And, um, well, well, wait, no, let, let me explain that a little better. The organization is 15 Kordad Foundation, and that is who, is who offered to pay $3 million if someone killed Rushdie. Um so the attack happened at 10.47 in the morning. Um, now, this is the irony of it. Uh, Rushdie was going to give a talk that day about the United States as a safe haven for exiled writers. Because he moved, he, as I'll tell you about him uh, in a bit, and he moved from India to uh, the U.K., ultimately to America. And so he that's why he was going to talk about how America is a safe haven for exiled writers. Um, and so um, Hadi Matar Hadi Matar um, is a 24-year-old man. He was currently living in Fairview, New Jersey, and we're going to get more into who he is in the second segment. Continuing with Salman Rushdie, um, he, his works, and he's written many novels and many other literary works, um, he combines what's called magical realism with historical fiction. So, in other words, he picks um, things in real life, but then he kind of adds this magical realism to it. Um, so, and he is 13th on the list of uh, the, the, in 2008, the Times, the um, UK publication, the Times, ranked him 13 on its list of the 50 greatest British writers since 1945. He was born in Bombay in 1947 into an Indian Kashmiri Muslim family. He's the son of a man who is a Cambridge-educated lawyer turned businessman. His mother was a teacher, and he grew up in Bombay, and then he moved to England to attend school, um, the rugby school, and then the King's College in Cambridge, King's College in Cambridge. And he was graduated from there with a Bachelor of Arts in History. 
Um, he, in 2000, he moved to the United States, and he lives mostly in Lower Manhattan, ironically, again, near uh, 9-11. Um, he supported Charlie Hebdo, you know, that whole literary, well, <laughs> you know, where terrorists there. Uh, I mean, when the Charlie Hebdo affair happened, he supported the writers and the and the, the people who were publishing that magazine for the same reason, because he thinks writers, as do I, and as, as you should as well, think that writers should have um, the ability to speak. Uh, there were other, there were previous attempts on his life. And for example, the, one of the most notorious attempts on Rushdie's life happened in in 1989, and so right after the book was published, um, a man called Mustafa Mahmoud Mazeh, he was planning to, uh, he was putting together a book bomb, a, a bomb in a book, and um, he was loading the explosives into it in London, and the bomb exploded prematurely and destroyed part of the hotel and killed Maza. And so, um, there is now a cemetery, a shrine in Tehran uh, for him that says he was, quote, martyred in London, the first martyr to die on a mission to kill Salman Rushdie. So this has been going on, obviously, you know, since 1988. And um, obviously Salman Rushdie was a little too quick to think that the danger was over. Um, he is also on, Rushdie is also on an Al-Qaeda hit list that they published in their Inspire magazine in 2010. That's when they published that, and that's when he was on it. Now, what's interesting is his religious background, Rushdie's religious background. He came from a liberal Muslim family. He says now that he's an atheist. Um, in 1989, when he was interviewed, following the uh, time that the fatwa was issued, he said that he was a lapsed Muslim, although, quote, shaped by Muslim culture more than any other. And he said he was a student of Islam. Quote, my point of view is that a secular human being, my, my point of view is that of a secular human being. I do not believe in supernatural entities, whether Christian, Jewish, Muslim, or Hindu. Then later, in 2006, in an interview, he called himself quote, a hardline atheist, unquote. So, um, so it's interesting that, you know, in terms of the, the religious, why, why, uh, radical Islamists are against him. Um, you know, it's interesting when he comes from this sort of mixed, um, when he's a Muslim, basically, and, and he has mixed views on religion. So now let's look at what the satanic uh, satanic verses are all about. Um, this is, this was his fourth novel, and as I said, it was first published in 1988. It was inspired by the life of the Islamic prophet Muhammad. You know that is the whole kind of point that um, that radical Islamists do not like the references to Muhammad. Muhammad, even if uh, it's supposed to be, um, you know, uh, not a um, not nonfiction, um, you know, a novel. It's they're still they're 
they still don't like how Muhammad is is portrayed um, with this magical realism. So, um, and as I said, he uses contemporary events and people to create his characters. So the Satanic Verses is a group of Quranic verses that refer to three pagan Meccan (laughs) goddesses. Um, And the part of the story, the novel, that deals with the Satanic Verses was based on accounts from uh, certain historians, al-Waqidi and al-Tabari. So, you know, he fictionalized um, history, basically, to make it magical. (laughs) Uh, He won prizes for this book. But when it came out, um, Muslim radical Islamists were accusing him of blasphemy and mocking their faith. Um, And among a lot of Muslims, not just radical Islamists. and then, because there was all this outrage among Muslims, Ayatollah uh, Khomeini, uh, then the supreme leader of Iran, called for his death on February 14th, 1989. That's when he made this fatwa, and that is what caused several failed assassination attempts on Rushdie. And the UK government put him under police protection. That's how um, that's how serious the threats were. Um, the plot of the, uh, this is a very, um, <laughs> I have not read the Satanic Verses. I have read about the Satanic Verses. The pl- <laughs> it seems very magical <laughs> um, and very complicated, quite frankly. Um, I, you know, and I wonder how many people who have threatened to kill him or who have made these protests um, really read the book because, again, it is incredibly, and really understood the book because it is very complicated. Um, there are there is a main plot, and then there are a series of subplots that are narrated as dream visions experienced by one of the protagonists. So, um, and it, it, it involves Indian expatriates in contemporary England, and he was an Indian expatriate in Rushdie was an Indian expatriate in contemporary England. So basically, he was talking a lot about. You know, some of the confusion and problems that he experienced when he came to England. Uh, but in the, in the form of these characters, in the form of this fictional characters. Um, it's a story about two men who are, one was a Bollywood superstar, um, and one was a, an immigrant, um, who broke with his Indian identity and works as a voiceover artist in England. So it's like basically two parts to his personality, really. And um, they're both trapped in a hijacked plane flying from from India to Britain. And that's all I'm going to, that's all you need to know with this book. Read the book. <laughs> um, so there are these de- dream sequences. And um, one of the characters, um, the uh, the one who's a Bollywood superstar, has all these dreams. And it turns out that he becomes schizophrenic. Or that he is schizophrenic, and this is his gradual uh, schizophrenia, and he's these dream sequences that are, you know, part dream and possibly part um, hallucinations. In any case, um, there is a, a description of the, or a fictionalized narration of the life of Muhammad, and they call Muhammad Mahound, uh, or the messenger, and 
Um, and the, the thing that's the most important in this book that most, was most controversial, um, the, because the, the phrase satanic verses was unknown to Muslims, but they found it incredibly sacrilegious. The books were incredibly sacrilegious and took it to imply the name satanic verses. They took it to imply that, um, Salman Rushdie was claiming that the verses in the Quran were the work of the devil. That is what the brouhaha is primarily about. When we come back, I'll tell you about his um, would-be killer, Hadi Matar. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Terrorist Stabs, author of Satanic Verses, and that's Salman Rushdie. The author is Salman Rushdie. Um, as I was mentioning in the previous segment, in 1980, the book came out in 1988. Uh, in 1989, Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, the leader of Iran, the supreme leader, issued a fatwa, a, relig- a religious edict, calling for the death of Rushdie. And this was broadcast on Iranian radio. And this is what his judgment said. Quote, We are from Allah, and to Allah we shall return. I am informing all brave Muslims of the world that the author of the Satanic Verses, a text written, edited, and published against Islam, the Prophet of Islam, and the Quran, along with all the editors and publishers aware of its contents, are condemned to death. I call on all valiant Muslims, wherever they may be in the world, to kill them without delay, so that no one will dare insult the sacred beliefs of Muslims henceforth. And whoever is killed in this cause will be a martyr. Allah willing. Meanwhile, if someone has access to the author of the book, but is incapable of carrying out the execution, he should inform the people so that Rushdie is punishable for his actions. Um, They offered, Iranian officials offered a bounty of $6 million at that time. And that's when he went into hiding. And then when... um, when uh, Iran's president, Ali Khamenei, you know, as opposed to Khomeini, uh, when he succeeded Khomeini as the supreme leader, he suggested that if Rushdie apologizes, quote, apologizes and disowns the book, people may forgive him, unquote. So Rushdie issued a somewhat of an apology. Um, it wasn't really an apology. It was just very carefully worded. He said, I recognize that Muslims in many parts of the world are genuinely distressed by the publication of my novel. I profoundly regret the distress the publication has occasioned to to the sincere followers of Islam. Living as we do in a world of many faiths, this experience has served to remind us that we must all be conscious of the sensibilities of others. However, um, the apology, so-called apology, was not accepted. 
Now, let's get to the attacker. The attacker, Hadi Matar, uh, stabbed Rushdie in the neck. And there is a significance to that. He also stabbed him in the abdomen. These were, there were about 15 stab wounds or 15 stab attempts. And, um, and so he also stabbed him in the abdomen. But the key is the neck. Because there is a statement in the Quran that says, when you meet the unbelievers, strike the necks. So this was symbolic as well as, of course, a good place to try to stab somebody, to kill somebody. Um, okay. So what we know of Hadi Matar. Uh, he, Hadi Matar was, he was 24 years old and he was born almost a decade after the fatwa. Uh, and there is evidence on Matar's cell phone linking him to, um, the, to sympathies, um, with the, with Iran, basically. Now, this is important to know because, uh, now this, it's so interesting because as I was saying earlier, the mainstream media is really trying to downplay anything related to terrorism, Iran, Islam. You know, they don't want to talk about that. Um, they just want it to be <laughs> somebody stab somebody else. Um, now, the, the, they were serious. This fatwa where it said not just uh, do they want to kill uh, Rushdie, but they want to kill anybody connected to the book. Um, people really took that out. The the uh, Japanese translator was stabbed in Japan. The Italian translator was uh, in, injured in a knife attack in Milan. Um, the Norwegian publisher was shot and wounded in Oslo. So they weren't kidding. Um, so now let's. They found Matar's phone. Well, they you know when he he went on the stage uh, and stabbed. Rushdie, the there were there were guards. Not, I mean, there were just the normal kinds of like two guards. Uh, not really. They did. There wasn't the kind of um, protection that uh, Rushdie normally got or had gotten years ago because they people, including Rushdie, didn't think there was that serious a threat still. Um, his Matar's social media, the the um. Was that they found the phone? So they grabbed Matar right away. They grabbed Rusty right away. Rusty was taken in an air, in an air ambulance to a hospital. Matar was, you know, captured by the police. Um, and of course, you know, that's how they got his cell phone. And so his social media accounts showed that he was sympathetic to Shia extremism and the causes of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is, um, a branch of the Iranian armed forces that are committed to protecting the country's Islamic system from hostile foreign powers and internal dissensions. So, you know, Rushdie would be considered a hostile foreign power, as is the United States and the West. Um, they found pictures of Soleimani on his, um, on his phone. Um, they found and he was, and as you remember, Soleimani, I did a post podcast on Soleimani. Um, he was the former head of a wing of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, and he was assassinated by the U.S. in Baghdad in January 2020. So this was also found on, um, 
the the stabbers cell phone messaging app and um what else um so clearly you know clearly um he it was motivated at least in part by the fatwa um now <laughs> of course there's the usual stories about how oh this nice boy <laughs> you know from from um Hadi Matar's neighbors and family and so on everybody is shocked as usual right he did what poor little friendly little um he uh he supposedly kept his religious fanaticism secret from uh people who knew him or at least some of the people who knew him that the media is asking um if they're telling the truth we can't we can't be sure they're telling the truth of course um they but they're saying that he kept this fanaticism secret from his quote very nice family a neighbor said and uh he uh, they went to his house. They took things, lots of things out of his house that they were going to be, um, you know, looking into. And uh, they, the neighbors described the family as, quote, normal, quiet people. Um, they live in a $700,000 family home in Fairview, New Jersey. Uh, his mother is Silvana Fardo. She's 46 years old. She was close to tears as she went into her home when the media caught up with her or watched her, uh, videotaped her. Um, now, Matar has pleaded not guilty to attempted murder and assault. Um, and, he, but he's remanded without bail. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness this didn't happen in, uh, in New York City or he would be out on the street just like all the other criminals are out on the street in New York City. Um, okay, so, uh, So what else do they say? They this they live in a four bedroom home. A close friend of Matar, of Hadi Matar said that he didn't detect the slightest hint of religious fanaticism. Have you heard this before? Listen to some of my previous podcasts. It's the same story. Nobody knew the slightest hint. He never ref quote he never referenced religion. He never referenced politics. Honestly, I would never have known he was even a Muslim before I heard what happened on the news. Uh, his family are just very, very nice people. I don't think they suspected a thing. They certainly didn't know he was going to do this. Now, again, most of the time the families do know. Um, uh, let's see. His family wouldn't answer questions. Um He was another friend said he was American, normal. He didn't do drugs or drink. Um, he was born in America, in the U.S., to Lebanese parents. Now, this is kind of this holds the key, of course. Um, his Lebanese parents emigrated from Yarun, which is a stronghold of the Iranian-backed terror group Hezbollah. Um, Hezbollah is the, is a Lebanese Islamist, uh, terrorist group and, um, and so they moved, his parents moved to America. Originally they moved to California, um, and where he was born 
and he grew up in Cudahy, California. And then uh, his mother, who was a special aid assistant teacher and a high school Arabic translator, divorced his father in 2004. There is always divorce in these families. Um, uh, 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 all right, obviously not always, but it, it, these some of these things that I'm telling you now are very similar to the families where uh, uh, school shooters or mass shooters in America, American school shooters and mass shooters come from, where um, where there is a, you know a broken family. So she divorced his father Hassan Motar, Matar in 2004, and so he would have been six years old. Um, Hadi Matar would have been six years old, and that's a very, you know, that is very traumatic. And so when she divorced his father, she filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy in 2012, and she had debts of nearly $74,000. And then they moved to New Jersey because she wanted a new start for her and her kids, which included twin girls, aged 14. Now, at that time, now, um, you know, this, there is, so it, there are potentially more than one motive for, of course, the fatwa, that's the number one motive. Also, perhaps the $3 million bounty on Rushdie's neck, so to speak, um, if he would have killed him. Perhaps he gets $1.5 million for just almost killing him. Um and then also perhaps it was to get his father's approval or his family's approval, you know, because of their connections that they had um, back in um, Lebanon, you know, to this, to Hezbollah. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, he he joined a local, um, I'm talking now back to Motar. It's kind of interesting because his father is named, I just realized this now, his father is named Hassan Matar, and um, as I will tell you in a bit, um, he, the, he was carrying a, a fake driver's license into the, uh, when he went to stab Rushdie, and that was found as well, of course. And um, he had names that are significant, and, and um, one of them was... Um, could well have been connected to his father as well as an Iranian um, leader. Okay, well, we'll get to that. In any case, um, okay, so, um, he, so he joined this boxing gym three months before, three months ago, before he canceled his membership last week. So he, he was planning this whole thing. Um, now, someone who worked in the gym said he was very, quote, he was very quiet. I've literally never heard a word come out of his mouth. He came in, he worked out, he left. This is one of the trainers who said that. Um, he was not extra athletic or strong. Maybe that's why he joined, the trainer said. Oh, here. Okay, here we go. Um, the fake driver's license. It was under the name Hassan Moog... <laughs> Mugniyaha. I'm sorry, can't, I will, I cannot pronounce that appropriately. But the, the significance is that, uh, the current leader of Hezbollah is named Hassan, Hassan Nasrallah. And one of the most notorious commanders was called 
Imad Magni Yay. <laughs> so the the um oh, I'm so sorry. I always screw up these the pronunciation of these names. But in any case, um these two names of the fake the, the significance here is the the name that he gave himself on the fake driver's license. Um the first name came from the current leader of Hezbollah, also named Hassan, okay? And then the, the last name came from one of the most notorious commanders of Hezbollah, the Mug name. <laughs> so, clearly, you know, clearly, really, should there be a question of why he killed um, or tried to kill Rushdie? I don't think so. Um, okay, I will, I, I, when we, we'll stop, um, we'll, let me just see, how, there's so much to tell you about this, about this, uh, this matar, just want to make sure that I did not leave out anything important. Well, first of all, he was described as a loner, never really seen with friends, uh, except the friends who, <laughs> who talked about, um, you know, who gave an interview to the media. Um, oh, yeah, I, I will tell you some more about him. But you know what? I will do that in the next segment. So stay tuned. This is, I'm leaving you on a precipice. <laughs> so you'll stay tuned for the third segment. How could you not? You've been listening to The Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about terrorist stabs author of satanic verses and that is salman rushdie who is the author um i have been talking about the um would-be killer hadi matar um and he uh just let me tell you a few more interesting tidbits about him um he was a um he's twenty four years old i think i I already said that um he he when he came into the event where he knifed um Salman Rushdie fifteen times he was wearing all black and and a mask um he was described as you know didn't socialize um and um he oh Okay. Well, that's pretty much, actually, I guess I, I guess I'm pretty much finished. Oh, well, no, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Um, the family. Yes, this is kind of interesting. You know, as a psychiatrist, of course, I'm trying to put him together. I mean, I don't have a question that it was, that he was part of the Hezbollah. You know, he was trying to continue, um, the, uh, terrorist activity of the Hezbollah terrorist group from where his family came from. And um, so I don't have a question about his being a terrorist, but, you know, still, each terrorist has their own psychology, right? Um, so he, the family is believed to own three SUVs 
But Matar, uh, the stabber, didn't rise. Now, he was 24 years old, and he didn't rise, despite the fact that the family owned three SUVs. So why? Why is that? And he also um, went, I, I said that the family lived in California before they moved to New Jersey, and he went to school at the Elizabeth Learning Center in Cudahy, California. And that makes me wonder whether there was some kind of um, some kind of learning disability or problem. Um, and then a former classmate of his from that school said that uh, Matar never spoke about Iran or um, Salman Rushdie. He was a devout Muslim, and one of the few things that I remember talking to him about was kindness. Well, <laughs> that was when he was in school in California. I think, uh, obviously, he got more devout or things changed in any case. Now, this is, in, now we're going to be talking about the, what's the significance of all of this? Besides, of course, the fact that poor Salman Rushdie is lying in a hospital, uh, you know, just off a respirator and hopefully, um, will recover. But he was definitely injured. His liver was injured. His arm, nerves were injured. Um, uh, you know, his, well, presumably his lung if he was on a respirator. But anyhow, he had these severe injuries, but he will presumably survive. Um, but, but what else, you know, what else is the significance besides, um, besides that personal effect, uh, to Rushdie? And that is, there is a, a bigger significance than that. Uh, and also, of course, another significance is writers, um, the freedom of writers to write, uh, without fear of being, having a fatwa taken out on them. Now, so let me now talk about, you know, some of these more global, um, aspects of the significance. So, literally global. Um, let's talk about what's happening in Iran after this event. Um, the Iran's government and its state-run media, uh, <laughs> it's funny, just like in America, just like the uh, mainstream media in America, they are saying that there's no, there was no motive to the assault. They're not giving a motive for why this attack happened. However, um, that's their, you know, the state-run media. Um, but the headlines on other newspapers or, you know, on some of the newspapers and in um, reports of what people in man-in-the-street kinds of interviews are very different. For example, a man-on-the-street interview with a 27-year-old delivery man uh, quote him as saying, I don't know Salman Rushdie, but I am happy to hear that he was attacked since he insulted Islam. This is the fate for anybody who insults sanctities. So, you know, clearly this man didn't even read the satanic verses, but he's glad that the man almost died. Um, another man on the street interview with a 34-year-old Tehran resident said that he had a, quote, good feeling after seeing Rushdie attacked. Quote, this is pleasing and shows those who insult the sacred things of we Muslims. Uh, in addition to punishment in the her hereafter, will get punished in this world, too, at the hands of people. And then um, there were headlines on front pages at newsstands in Iran 
that said such things as, quote, a knife in the neck of Salman Rushdie. Now, again, that's, you know, they, that headline is referring to the uh, statement that the Quran says that I, that I told you about before. I mean, the significance of the knife in the neck. Um, another newspaper had a headline saying, Satan on the path to hell. This is his satanic verses. You know, so really, I mean, people, I, I could barely read a summary of the book. <laughs> and it's a long book. And, um, I, or a long story, a convoluted story. Most of the people who are, you know, they're just repeating what they're hearing, what terrorists, what Hezbollah is putting out. And, of course, what, you know, Iranian leaders um, are putting out. You know, they're, they're reading the um, the Reader's Digest version, the Iranian Reader's Digest version, and just believing that this was satanic, that they're saying that uh, Muhammad is Satan, basically. You know, that the verses in the Quran um, are satanic, that, that Rushdie is saying that the verses in the Quran are satanic, which is not what he was saying. Um, what's also significant is that one of the, there were lots, so there are lots of people that they're quoting, lots of leaders in Iran who, um, you know, terrorist kinds of leaders who are, um, saying that, um, that are, are basically happy that, uh, that this happened. And, um, it includes a senior advisor to Iran's nuclear negotiating team. So in other words, an advisor to the team that is negotiating another uh, pact, another treaty, which, of course, I think any treaty is a big mistake to begin with because you can't trust. <laughs> Clearly, you can't trust these people who are making it with you because they lie and they are terrorists and they have announced in public, in the media, all over, death to America, right? So you can't make a treaty with someone who wants you to die. <laughs> I mean, like, duh. Um, okay, so the senior advisor to Iran's nuclear negotiating team, um, Saved Mohammed Morandi, said that he will not shed a tear for the writer, quote, who spouts endless hatred and contempt for Muslims and Islam. Now, I wonder if he read the book. Um Now, you may think that fatwas are old-fashioned, and surely there can't be any new fatwas. That was in 1989, the original one against Salman Rushdie. But, um, indeed, there essentially are, um, whether they everybody's calling them a fatwa or just a murder plot. <laughs> but we, um, one of the, you know, we, sh we should not be complacent here because, um, this murder of Salman Rushdie is particularly significant at this time because there have been murder plots unveiled, we're just aware of them recently, on U.S. soil that has, have been inspired by Tehran. Um, those are against John Bolton, uh, Mike Pompeo, and a Brooklyn dissident, a woman um, who, you know, is uh, a dissident against Iran, and um, she's a journalist. So, you know, 
we should not just think of these things as uh, quaint little fatwas. We really have to be concerned. And again, um, Iran leaders make it clear they are not embarrassed to say or hesitant to say that they uh, want death to America. They also want death, of course, to the West, to Israel, of course. So the two favorite ones are, are death to America and death to Israel. But um, after this stabbing of Salman Rushdie, there someone put online on, on Twitter, and Twitter, you know, didn't take it down or says it doesn't, this doesn't uh, go against their rules, which is like ridiculous. They take down people complaining about vaccines, and yet there was a, um, uh, a man named Mir Asif Aziz. He's an Islamist based in Pakistan, and like Hadi Matar, he's an Iran sympathizer, and he tweeted uh, a tweet against J.K. Rowling, uh, he, a death threat. He wrote, you next, unquote. And that was because she had the audacity to support Salman Rushdie in a tweet of hers. Well, <laughs> uh, clearly, you know, as a writer herself and as a writer who has gotten backlash, though nothing to do with the terrorism, um, you know, there she was, uh, un, it was certainly understandable that she would uh, be supportive of Salman Rushdie, as we all should be. Because really, um, this is censorship. Again, uh, there is nothing that was clear. They, they were basically people misunderstood or just didn't like even the, the sense that Mohammed was mentioned in his book. Whatever. Um, it does not deserve killing somebody over it. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at TerrorismForKids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carroll, the Terrorist Therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.